chapter five of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five discontents and part of the american army letter from general washington on the subject colonel van shake destroys an indian settlement expedition against the indians meditated fort fayette surrendered to the british invasion of connecticut general wayne storms tony point expedition against penobscot powell's hook surprised by major lee arrival of admiral arbuthnot of the count d'estaing siege of savannah unsuccessful attempt to storm that place siege raised victory of general sullivan at newtown spain offers her mediation to the belligerents declares war against england letter from general washington to congress respecting the annual formation of the army the army goes into winter quarters seventeen seventy nine the barbarities committed by the indians in the course of the preceding year on the inhabitants of the western frontiers had added motives of mingled resentment and humanity to those of national interest for employing a larger force in the protection of that part of the union than had heretofore been devoted to it general washington had always believed that it was impossible to defend the immense western frontier by any chain of posts which could be established and that the country would be protected much more certainly by offensive than by defensive war his plan was to penetrate into the heart of the indian settlements with a force competent to the destruction of their towns and also to reduce the british post at niagara which gave its possessors an almost irresistible influence over the six nations this plan constituted one of the various subjects of conference with the committee of congress in philadelphia and received the entire approbation of that body the state governments also took a strong interest in the protection of their western settlements connecticut new york and pennsylvania applied severally to congress urging the adoption of such vigorous measures as would secure the frontiers against a repetition of the horrors which had been already perpetrated these papers were referred to the committee which had been appointed to confer with general washington in conformity with whose report it was resolved that the commander-in-chief be directed to take efficient measures for the protection of the inhabitants and chastisement of the savages the six nations had made some advances towards acquiring the comforts of civilized life several comfortable houses were to be seen in their populous villages and their fertile fields and orchards yielded an abundant supply of corn and fruit some few of their towns were attached to the united states but in general they were under the influence of the british many of the loyalists had taken refuge among them and had added to their strength without diminishing their ferocity it was determined to lead a force into these villages sufficient to overpower any numbers they could possibly bring into the field and to destroy the settlements they had made to guard against reinforcements from canada means were used to inspire that colony with fears for itself as the army destined for this expedition was about to move alarming symptoms of discontent appeared in a part of it the jersey brigade which had been stationed during the winter at elizabethtown was ordered early in may to march by regiments discontents in a part of the american army this order was answered by a letter from general maxwell stating that the officers of the first regiment had delivered a remonstrance to their colonel addressed to the legislature of the state declaring that unless their complaints on the subjects of pay and support should obtain the immediate attention of that body they were at the expiration of three days to be considered as having resigned and requesting the legislature in that event to appoint other officers to succeed them 
they declared however their readiness to make every preparation for obeying the orders which had been given and to continue their attention to the regiment until a reasonable time should elapse for the appointment of their successors this added the letter of general maxwell is a step they are extremely unwilling to take but it is such as i make no doubt they will all take nothing but necessity their not being able to support themselves in time to come and being loaded with debts contracted in time past could have induced them to resign at so critical a juncture the intelligence conveyed in this letter made a serious impression on the commander-in-chief he was strongly attached to the army and to its interests had witnessed its virtue and its sufferings and lamented sincerely its present distresses the justice of the complaints made by the officers could no more be denied than the measure they had adopted could be approved relying on their patriotism and on his own influence he immediately wrote a letter to general maxwell to be laid before them in which mingling the sensibility of a friend with the authority of a general he addressed to their understanding and to their love of country observations calculated to invite their whole attention to the consequences which must result from the step they were about to take letter from general washington on this subject the patience and perseverance of the army proceeds the letter have been under every disadvantage such as to do them the highest honor both at home and abroad and have inspired me with an unlimited confidence of their virtue which has consoled me amidst every perplexity and reverse of fortune to which our affairs in a struggle of this nature were necessarily exposed now that we have made so great a progress to the attainment of the end we have in view so that we cannot fail without a most shameful desertion of our own interests anything like a change of conduct would imply a very unhappy change of principles and a forgetfulness as well of what we owe to ourselves as to our country did i suppose it possible this could be the case even in a single regiment of the army i should be mortified and chagrined beyond expression i should feel it as a wound given to my own honour which i consider as embarked with that of the army at large but this i believe to be impossible any corps that was about to set an example of the kind would weigh well the consequences and no officer of common discernment and sensibility would hazard them if they should stand alone in it independent of other consequences what would be their feelings on reflecting that they had held themselves out to the world in a point of light inferior to the rest of the army or if their example should be followed and become general how could they console themselves for having been the foremost in bringing ruin and disgrace upon their country they would remember that the army would share a double portion of the general infamy and distress and that the character of an american officer would become as infamous as it is now glorious i confess the appearances in the present instance are disagreeable but i am convinced they seem to mean more than they really do the jersey officers have not been outdone by any others in the qualities either of citizens or soldiers and i am confident no part of them would seriously intend anything that would be a stain on their former reputation the gentlemen cannot be in earnest they have only reasoned wrong about the means of obtaining a good end and on consideration i hope and flatter myself they will renounce what must appear to be improper at the opening of a campaign when under marching orders for an important service their own honour duty to the public and to themselves and a regard to military propriety will not suffer them to persist in a measure which would be a violation of them all it will even wound their delicacy coolly to reflect that they have hazarded a step which has an air of dictating terms to their country by taking advantage of the necessity of the moment the declaration they have made to the state at so critical a time that unless they obtain relief in the short period of three days they must be considered out of the service 
has very much that aspect and the seeming relaxation of continuing until the state can have a reasonable time to provide other officers will be thought only a superficial veil i am now to request that you will convey my sentiments to the gentlemen concerned and endeavour to make them sensible that they are in an error the service for which the regiment was intended will not admit of delay and must at all events march on monday morning in the first place to camp and farther directions will be given when it arrives i am sure i shall not be mistaken in expecting a prompt and cheerful obedience the representations of this letter did not completely produce the desired effect the officers did not recede from their claims in an address to the commander-in-chief they expressed their unhappiness that any act of theirs should give him pain but proceeded to justify the step they had taken repeated memorials had been presented to their legislature which had been received with promises of attention but had been regularly neglected at length said they we have lost all confidence in our legislature reason and experience forbid that we should have any few of us have private fortunes many have families who already are suffering everything that can be received from an ungrateful country are we then to suffer all the inconveniences fatigues and dangers of a military life while our wives and our children are perishing for want of common necessaries at home and that without the most distant prospect of reward for our pay is now only nominal we are sensible that your excellency cannot wish nor desire this from us we are sorry that you should imagine we meant to disobey orders it was and still is our determination to march with our regiment and to do the duty of officers until the legislature should have a reasonable time to appoint others but no longer we beg leave to assure your excellency that we have the highest sense of your ability and virtues that executing your orders has ever given us pleasure that we love the service and we love our country but when that country gets so lost to virtue and justice as to forget to support its servants it then becomes their duty to retire from its service this letter was peculiarly embarrassing to adopt a stern course of proceeding might hazard the loss of the jersey line an event not less injurious to the service than painful to himself to take up the subject without doing too much for the circumstances of the army would be doing too little for the occasion he therefore declined taking any other notice of the letter than to declare through general maxwell that while they continued to do their duty in conformity with the determination they had expressed he should only regret the part they had taken and should hope they would perceive its impropriety the legislature of new jersey alarmed at the decisive step taken by the officers was at length induced to pay some attention to their situation they consenting on their part to withdraw their remonstrance in the meantime they continued to perform their duty and their march was not delayed by this unpleasant altercation in communicating this transaction to congress general washington took occasion to remind that body of his having frequently urged the absolute necessity of some general and adequate provision for the officers of the army i shall only observe continued the letter that the distresses in some corps are so great either where they were not until lately attached to any particular state or where the state has been less provident that the officers have solicited even to be supplied with the clothing destined for the common soldiery coarse and unsuitable as it was i had not power to comply with the request the patience of men animated by a sense of duty and honour will support them to a certain point beyond which it will not go i doubt not congress will be sensible of the danger to an extreme in this respect and will pardon my anxiety to obviate it colonel van shake surprises and destroys one of the indian settlements before the troops destined for the grand expedition were put in motion an enterprise of less extent was undertaken which was completely successful a plan for surprising the towns of the onondagas 
one of the nearest of the hostile tribes having been formed by general schuyler and approved by the commander-in-chief colonel van shake assisted by lieutenant colonel willett and major cochrane marched from fort schuyler on the morning of the nineteenth of april at the head of between five and six hundred men and on the third day reached the point of destination the whole settlement was destroyed after which the detachment returned to fort schuyler without the loss of a single man for this handsome display of talents as a partisan the thanks of congress were voted to colonel van shake and the officers and soldiers under his command expedition against the indians meditated the cruelties exercised by the indians in the course of the preceding year had given a great degree of importance to the expedition now meditated against them and the relative military strength and situation of the two parties rendered it improbable that any other offensive operations could be carried on by the americans in the course of the present campaign the army under the command of sir henry clinton exclusive of the troops in the southern department was computed at between sixteen and seventeen thousand men the american army the largest division of which lay at middlebrook under the immediate command of general washington was rather inferior to that of the british in real strength the grand total except those in the southern and western country including officers of every description amounted to about sixteen thousand three thousand of these were in new england under the command of general gates and the remaining thirteen thousand were cantoned on both sides of the north river the bare statement of numbers must show the incompetency of the american army to the expulsion of the british from either new york or rhode island on their part therefore the plan of the campaign was necessarily defensive and the hazards and difficulties attending the execution of even a defensive plan were considerable independent of an extensive coast at all places accessible to the invading army the hudson penetrating deep into the country which was to be the theatre of action gave great advantages in their military operations to those who commanded the water after the destruction of forts clinton and montgomery in seventeen seventy seven it had been determined to construct the fortifications intended for the future defence of the north river at west point a position which being more completely embosomed in the hills was deemed more defensible the works had been prosecuted with unremitting industry but were far from being completed some miles below west point about the termination of the highlands is king's ferry where the great road affording the most convenient communication between the middle and eastern states crosses the north river the ferry is completely commanded by the two opposite points of land that on the west side a rough and elevated piece of ground is denominated stony point and the other on the east side a flat neck of land projecting far into the water is called verplanck's point the command of king's ferry was an object worth the attention of either army and washington had comprehended the points which protected within his plan of defence for the highlands a small but strong work termed fort fayette was completed at verplanck's and was garrisoned by a company commanded by captain armstrong the works on stony point were unfinished as the season for active operations approached sir henry clinton formed a plan for opening the campaign with a brilliant coup de main up the north river and towards the latter end of may made preparations for the enterprise these preparations were immediately communicated to general washington who was confident that the british general meditated an attack on the forts in the highlands or designed to take a position between those forts and middlebrook in order to interrupt the communication between the different parts of the american army to prevent their reunion and to beat them in detail measures were instantly taken to counteract either of these designs the intelligence from new york was communicated to generals putnam and mcdougall who were ordered to hold themselves in readiness to march and on the twenty ninth of may the army moved by divisions from middlebrook towards the highlands 
may on the thirtieth the british army commanded by sir henry clinton in person and convoyed by sir george collier proceeded up the river and general vaughan at the head of the largest division landed next morning about eight miles below verplanks the other division under the particular command of general patterson but accompanied by sir henry clinton advancing farther up landed on the west side within three miles of stony point that place being immediately abandoned general patterson took possession of it on the same afternoon he dragged some heavy cannon and mortars to the summit of the hill in the course of the night and june one at five next morning opened a battery on fort fayette at the distance of about one thousand yards during the following night two galleys passed the fort and anchoring above it prevented the escape of the garrison by water while general vaughan invested it closely by land fort fayette surrendered to the british no means of defending the fort or of saving themselves remaining the garrison became prisoners of war immediate directions were given for completing the works at both posts and for putting stony point in particular in a strong state of defence it is scarcely supposable that the views of sir henry clinton in moving up the river were limited to this single acquisition the means employed were so disproportioned to the object as to justify belief that he contemplated farther and more important conquests whatever may have been his plans the measures of precaution taken by washington counteracted their execution and before clinton was in a situation to proceed against west point general mcdougall was so strengthened and the american army took such a position on the strong grounds about the hudson that the enterprise became too hazardous to be farther prosecuted after completing the fortifications on both sides of the river at king's ferry sir henry clinton placed a strong garrison in each fort and proceeded down the river to phillipsburg the relative situation of the hostile armies presenting insuperable obstacles to any grand operation they could be employed offensively only on detached expeditions connecticut from its contiguity to new york and its extent of sea-coast was peculiarly exposed to invasion the numerous small cruisers which plied in the sound to the great annoyance of british commerce and the large supplies of provisions drawn from the adjacent country for the use of the continental army furnished great inducements to sir henry clinton to direct his enterprises particularly against that state he also hoped to draw general washington from his impregnable position on the north river into the low country and thus obtain an opportunity of striking at some part of his army or of seizing the posts which were the great object of the campaign july invasion of connecticut with these views he planned an expedition against connecticut the command of which was given to governor tryon who reached new haven bay on the fifth of july with about two thousand six hundred men general washington was at the time on the lines examining in person the condition of the works on stony and verplanck's points in consequence of which with the intelligence which was transmitted to headquarters that the fleet had sailed could not be immediately communicated to the governor of connecticut and the first intimation which that state received of its danger was given by the appearance of the enemy the militia assembled in considerable numbers with alacrity but the british effected a landing and took possession of the town after destroying the military and naval stores found in the place they re-embarked and proceeded westward to fairfield which was reduced to ashes the good countenance shown by the militia at this place is attested by the apology made by general tryon for the wanton destruction of private property which disgraced his conduct the village was burnt he says to resent the fire of the rebels from their houses and to mask our retreat july from fairfield the fleet crossed the sound to huntington bay where it remained until the eleventh when it recrossed that water after which the troops were landed in the night on the low pasture peninsula on the east side of the bay of norwalk about the same time a much larger detachment from the british army directed its course towards horse neck and made demonstrations of a design to penetrate into the country in that direction 
on the first intelligence that connecticut was invaded general parsons a native of that state had been directed by general washington to hasten to the scene of action july placing himself at the head of about one hundred and fifty continental troops who were supported by considerable bodies of militia he attacked the british in the morning of the twelfth as soon as they were in motion and kept up an irregular distant fire throughout the day but being too weak to prevent the destruction of any particular town on the coast norwalk was reduced to ashes after which the british re-embarked and returned to huntington bay there to wait for reinforcements at this place however tryon received orders to return to the white stone where in a conference between sir henry clinton and sir george collier it was determined to proceed against new london with an increased force on the invasion of connecticut the commander-in-chief was prompt in his exertions to send continental troops from the nearest encampments to its aid but before they could afford any real service sir henry clinton found it necessary to recall tryon to the hudson general washington had planned an enterprise against the posts at king's ferry comprehending a double attack to be made at the same time on both but the difficulty of a perfect co-operation of detachments incapable of communicating with each other determined him to postpone the attack on verplanks and to make that part of the plan dependent on the success of the first his whole attention therefore was turned to stony point and the troops destined for this critical service proceeded on it as against a single object the execution of the plan was entrusted to general wayne who commanded the light infantry of the army secrecy was deemed so much more essential to success than numbers that no addition was made to the force already on the lines one brigade was ordered to commence its march so as to reach the scene of action in time to cover the troops engaged in the attack should any unlooked-for disaster befall them and major lee of the light dragoons who had been eminently useful in obtaining the intelligence which led to the enterprise was associated with general wayne as far as cavalry could be employed in such a service july the night of the fifteenth and the hour of twelve were chosen for the assault stony point is a commanding hill projecting far into the hudson which washes three-fourths of its base the remaining fourth is in a great measure covered by a deep marsh commencing near the river on the upper side and continuing into it below over this marsh there is only one crossing place but at its junction with the river is a sandy beach passable at low tide on the summit of this hill stood the fort which was furnished with heavy ordnance several breastworks and strong batteries were advanced in front of the main work and about halfway down the hill were two rows of abatis the batteries were calculated to command the beach and the crossing place of the marsh and to rake and enfilade any column which might be advancing from either of those points towards the fort in addition to these defences several vessels of war were stationed in the river and commanded the ground at the foot of the hill the garrison consisted of about six hundred men commanded by colonel johnson general wayne arrived about eight in the afternoon at spring steels one and a half miles from the fort and made his dispositions for the assault it was intended to attack the works on the right and left flanks at the same instant the regiments of Fabergere and the meigs with major hull's detachment formed the right column and butler's regiment with two companies under major murphy formed the left one hundred and fifty volunteers led by lieutenant colonel fleury and major posey constituted the van of the right and one hundred volunteers under major stewart composed the van of the left at half-past eleven the two columns moved to the assault the van of each with unloaded muskets and fixed bayonets they were each preceded by a forlorn hope of twenty men the one commanded by lieutenant gibbon and the other by lieutenant knox general wayne surprises and takes stony point they reached the marsh undiscovered and at twenty minutes after twelve commenced the assault both columns rushed forward to under a tremendous fire surmounting every obstacle they entered the works at the point of the bayonet and without discharging a single musket obtained possession of the fort 
the humanity displayed by the conquerors was not less conspicuous nor less honourable than their courage not an individual suffered after resistance had ceased all the troops engaged in this perilous service manifest a degree of ardour and impetuosity which proved them to be capable of the most difficult enterprises and all distinguished themselves whose situation enabled them to do so colonel fleury was the first to enter the fort and strike the british standard major posey mounted the works almost at the same instant and was the first to give the watchword the forts are our own lieutenants gibbon and knox performed the service allotted to them with a degree of intrepidity which could not be surpassed of twenty men who constituted the party of the former seventeen were killed or wounded sixty-three of the garrison were killed including two officers the prisoners amounted to five hundred and forty-three among whom were one lieutenant colonel four captains and twenty subaltern officers the military stores taken in the fort were considerable the loss sustained by the assailants was not proportioned to the apparent danger of the enterprise the killed and wounded did not exceed one hundred men general wayne who marched with Fabergere's regiment in the right column received a slight wound in the head which stunned him for a time but did not compel him to leave the column being supported by his aides he entered the fort with the regiment lieutenant colonel hay was also among the wounded although the design upon fort fayette had yielded to the desire of securing the success of the attack on stony point it had not been abandoned two brigades under general mcdougall had been ordered to approach the works on verplanks in which colonel webster commanded and be in readiness to attack them the instant general wayne should obtain possession of stony point that this detachment might not permit the favourable moment to pass unimproved wayne had been requested to direct the messenger who should convey the intelligence of his success to the commander-in-chief to pass through mcdougall's camp and give him advice of that event he was also requested to turn the cannon of the fort against verplanks and the vessels in the river the last orders were executed and a heavy cannonade was opened on fort lafayette and on the vessels which compelled them to fall down the river through some misconception never explained the messenger dispatched by general wayne did not call on mcdougall but proceeded directly to headquarters thus every advantage expected from the first impression made by the capture of stony point was lost and the garrison had full leisure to recover from the surprise occasioned by that event and to prepare for an attack this change of circumstances made it necessary to change the plan of operation general howe was directed to take the command of mcdougall's detachment to which some pieces of heavy artillery were to be annexed he was ordered after effecting a breach in the walls to make the dispositions for an assault and to demand a surrender but not to attempt to storm until it should be dark to these orders explicit instructions were added not to hazard his party by remaining before verplanks after the british should cross croton river in force the ruins of stony point on the hudson here on the night of july sixteenth seventeen seventy nine brigadier-general mad anthony wayne led his troops up the hill in darkness surprised the british garrison and captured this british stronghold at the point of the bayonet not a shot was fired by the americans who lost fifteen killed and eighty-three wounded the british sixty-three killed and five hundred and thirty-three prisoners the fortifications were destroyed and the place being untenable was abandoned shortly afterwards by the americans through some unaccountable negligence in the persons charged with the execution of these orders the battering artillery was not accompanied with suitable ammunition and the necessary entrenching tools were not brought these omissions were supplied the next day but it was then too late to proceed against fur planks on receiving intelligence of the loss of stony point and of the danger to which the garrison at fort fayette was exposed sir henry clinton relinquished his views on connecticut and made a forced march to dobbs ferry some troops were immediately embarked to pass up the river and a light corps was pushed forward to the croton this movement relieved fort fayette
the failure of the attempt to obtain possession of verplank's point leaving that road of communication still closed diminished the advantages which had been expected to result from the enterprise so much that it was deemed unadvisable to maintain stony point on reconnoitring the ground general washington believed that the place could not be rendered secure with a garrison of less than fifteen hundred men a number which could not be spared from the army without weakening it too much for farther operations he determined therefore to evacuate stony point and retire to the highlands as soon as this resolution was executed sir henry clinton repossessed himself of that post prepared the fortifications and placed a stronger garrison in it after which he resumed his former situation at phillipsburg the two armies watched each other for some time at length sir henry clinton finding himself unable to attack washington in the strong position he had taken or to draw him from it and being desirous of transferring the theatre of active war to the south withdrew into york island and was understood to be strengthening the fortifications erected for its defence as preparatory to the large detachments he intended making to reinforce the southern army although this movement was made principally with a view to southern operations it was in some degree hastened by the opinion that new york required immediate additional protection during the absence of the fleet which was about to sail for the relief of penobscot expedition against penobscot early in june colonel mclean with six hundred and fifty men had penetrated from nova scotia into the eastern parts of maine and taken possession of a strong piece of ground on the penobscot which he had begun to fortify the state of massachusetts alarmed at an invasion which threatened a serious diminution of territory determined to dislodge him a respectable fleet commanded by commodore saltonstall and an army of near four thousand men under general lovell were prepared with so much celerity july twenty five that the whole armament appeared in the penobscot as early as the twenty fifth of july mclean had taken possession of a peninsula on the eastern side of penobscot and had entrenched the isthmus connecting it with the continent the part towards the river was steep and difficult of access and was also defended by his frigates and batteries the principal of which was constructed about the centre of the peninsula after being repulsed in his first attempt general lovell effected a landing on the western part of the peninsula where he ascended a precipice of two hundred feet and with the loss of only fifty men killed and wounded drove the party which defended it from the ground a battery was erected within seven hundred and fifty yards of the main work of the besieged and a warm cannonade was kept up for several days on both sides perceiving the difficulty of carrying the place with a militia impatient to return to their homes general lovell represented his situation to the government of massachusetts who applied to general gates then commanding at providence for a reinforcement of four hundred continental troops this request was readily granted and jackson's regiment was ordered to penobscot in the meantime an ineffectual cannonade was continued and preparations were made to storm the works on the arrival of the expected reinforcements such was the posture of affairs on the thirteenth of august when lovell received information that sir george collier had entered the river with a superior naval force he re-embarked his whole army the following night and drew up his flotilla in a crescent across the river as if determined to maintain its position this show of resistance was made in the hope of stopping sir george collier until the land forces on board the transports could be conveyed up the river and disembarked on the western shore but the british general was too confident in his strength to permit this stratagem to succeed and as he approached the americans sought for safety in flight a general chase and unresisted destruction ensued the ships of war were blown up and the transports fled in the utmost confusion up the river being pursued by the british squadron the troops landed in a wild uncultivated country and were obliged to explore their way without provisions through a pathless wilderness for more than a hundred miles exhausted with famine and fatigue they at length gained the settled parts of the country after having lost several men who perished in the woods 
while sir henry clinton continued encamped just above harlem with his upper posts at king's bridge and the american army preserved its station in the highlands a bold plan was formed for surprising a british post at powell's hook which was executed with great address by major lee this officer was employed on the west side of the river with directions to observe the situation of the british in stony point but principally to watch the motions of their main army while his party scoured the country he obtained intelligence which suggested the idea of surprising and carrying off the garrison at powell's hook a point of land on the west side of the hudson immediately opposite the town of new york penetrating deep into the river on the point nearest new york some works had been constructed which were garrisoned by four or five hundred men a deep ditch into which the water of the river flowed having over it a doral bridge connected with a barred gate had been cut across the isthmus so as to make the hook in reality an island this ditch could be passed only at low water thirty paces within it was a row of abatis running into the river and some distance in front of it is a creek fordable only in two places this difficulty of access added to the remoteness of the nearest corps of the american army impressed the garrison with the opinion that they were perfectly secure and this opinion produced an unmilitary remissness in the commanding officer which did not escape the vigilance of lee on receiving his communications general washington was inclined to favor the enterprise they suggested but withheld his full assent until he was satisfied that the assailants would be able to make good their retreat the hackensack which communicates with the waters of the hudson below new york runs almost parallel with that river quite to its source and is separated from it only a few miles this neck is still farther narrowed by a deep creek which divides it and empties into the hackensack below fort lee west of that river runs the passaic which unites with it near newark and forms another long and narrow neck of land from powell's hook to the new bridge the first place where the hackensack could be crossed without boats the distance is fourteen miles and from the north river to the road leading from the one place to the other there are three points of interception the nearest of which is less than two miles and the farthest not more than three the british were encamped in full force along the north river opposite to these points of interception to diminish the danger of the retreat it was intended to occupy the roads leading through the mountains of the hudson to the hackensack with a select body of troops every preparatory arrangement being made the night of the eighteenth of august was fixed on for the enterprise a detachment from the division of lord stirling including three hundred men designed for the expedition was ordered down as a foraging party as there was nothing unusual in this movement it excited no suspicion lord stirling followed with five hundred men and encamped at the new bridge major lee at the head of three hundred men took the road through the mountains which ran parallel to the north river and having secured all the passes into york island reached the creek which surrounds the hook between two and three in the morning the british post at powell's hook surprised by major lee and the garrison made prisoners he passed first the creek and then the ditch undiscovered and about three in the morning entered the main work and with the loss of only two killed and three wounded made one hundred and fifty-nine prisoners including three officers very few of the british were killed major sutherland who commanded the garrison threw himself with forty or fifty hessians into a strong redoubt which it was thought unadvisable to attack because the time occupied in carrying it might endanger the retreat wasting no time in destroying what could easily be replaced major lee hastened to bring off his prisoners and his detachment to avoid the danger of retreating up the narrow neck of land which has already been described some boats had been brought in the course of the night to dow's ferry on the hackensack not far from powell's hook the officer who guarded them was directed to remain until the arrival of the troops engaged in the expedition which it was understood would happen before day the light having made its appearance without any intelligence from major lee the officer having charge of the boats conjectured that the attack had been postponed and to avoid discovery retired with them to newark 
the head of the retreating column soon afterwards reached the ferry and fatigued as they were by the toilsome march of the preceding night were compelled to pass as rapidly as possible up the narrow neck of land between the two rivers to the new bridge a horseman was dispatched with this information to lord stirling and the line of march was resumed about nine in the preceding evening major buskirk had been detached up the north river with a considerable part of the garrison of Pileshook and some other troops for the purpose of falling in with the american party supposed to be foraging about the english neighbourhood on receiving intelligence of the disappointment respecting the boats lord stirling took the precaution to detach colonel ball with two hundred fresh men to meet lee and cover his retreat just after ball had passed buskirk entered the main road and fired on his rear taking it for granted that this was only the advance corps of a large detachment sent to intercept the party retreating from pal's hook ball made a circuit to avoid the enemy and buskirk finding a detachment he had not expected took the same measure to secure his own retreat the two parties narrowly missing each other returned to their respective points of departure and lee reached the new bridge without interruption this critical enterprise reflected much honor on the partisan with whom it originated and by whom it was conducted general washington announced it to the army in his orders with much approbation and congress bestowed upon it a degree of applause more adapted to the talent displayed in performing the service than to its magnitude arrival of admiral arbuthnot a few days after the surprise of pal's hook the long-expected fleet from europe under the command of admiral arbuthnot having on board a reinforcement for the british army arrived at new york this reinforcement however did not enable sir henry clinton to enter immediately on that active course of offensive operations which he had meditated it was soon followed by the count d'estaing who arrived on the southern coast of america with a powerful fleet after which the british general deemed it necessary to turn all his attention to his own security rhode island and the posts up the north river were evacuated and the whole army was collected in new york the fortifications of which were carried on with unremitting industry the count d'estaing and admiral byron having sailed about the same time from the coast of north america met in the west indies where the war was carried on with various success san lucia taken by the british st vincent's and granada by the french san lucia surrendered to the british in compensation for which the french took st vincent's and granada about the time of the capture of the latter island d'estaing received reinforcements which gave him a decided naval superiority after which a battle was fought between the two hostile fleets in which the count claimed the victory and in which so many of the british ships were disabled that the admiral was compelled to retire into port in order to refit the earnest representations made on the part of the united states had prevailed on the cabinet of versailles to instruct the count d'estaing to afford them all the aid in his power and the present moment seemed a fit one for carrying these orders into execution letters from general lincoln from the executive of south carolina and from the french consul at charleston urged him to pay a visit to the southern states and represented the situation of the british in georgia to be such that his appearance would ensure the destruction of the army in that quarter and the recovery of the state count d'estaing with his fleet arrives on the southern coast of america yielding to these solicitations the count sailed with twenty-two ships of the line and eleven frigates having on board six thousand soldiers and arrived so suddenly on the southern coast of america that the experiment of fifty guns and three frigates fell into his hands a vessel was sent to charleston with information of his arrival and a plan was concerted for the siege of savannah d'estaing was to land three thousand men at beaulieu on the eleventh of september and lincoln was to cross the savannah on the same day with one thousand americans and effect a junction with him the town of savannah was at that time the headquarters of general prevost apprehending no immediate danger he had weakened the garrison by establishing several outposts in georgia and by leaving colonel maitland with a strong detachment in the island of port royal in south carolina 
on the appearance of the french fleet expresses were dispatched to colonel maitland and to all the outposts directing the troops to repair without loss of time to savannah these orders were promptly obeyed and on the tenth of september the several detachments in georgia had all arrived in safety except the sick and convalescents of the garrison of sunbury who were intercepted september siege of savannah by the combined armies on the eleventh general lincoln reached zubley's ferry and on the fifteenth was assured that the french had disembarked in force a junction of the two armies was formed the next day before the town of savannah on the night of the twelfth the count d'estaing had landed about three thousand men at beaulieu and the next day before the arrival of general lincoln had summoned the garrison to surrender to the arms of the king of france being desirous of gaining time general prevost answered the summons in such a manner as to encourage the opinion that he designed to capitulate in the expectation of which a suspension of hostilities for twenty-four hours was granted in that important interval colonel maitland arrived from beaufort with the troops which had been stationed at that place as the french were in possession of the main channel by which the savannah communicates with the sea colonel maitland entered the town by a route which had been deemed impracticable he came round by Fusky, an island north of the mouth of the river and landing in a deep marsh drew his boats through it into the savannah above the place where the ships lay at anchor and thence made his way by small parties into the town on receiving this reinforcement the resolution was taken to defend the place to the last extremity and the next day this determination was communicated to the count d'estaing september after bringing up the heavy ordnance and stores from the fleet the besieging army broke ground and by the first of october had pushed their sap within three hundred yards of the abatis on the left of the british lines several batteries were opened on the besieged which played almost incessantly upon their works but made no impression on them the situation of d'estaing was becoming critical more time had already been consumed on the coast of georgia than he had supposed would be necessary for the destruction of the british force in that state he became uneasy for the possessions of france in the west indies and apprehensive for the safety of the ships under his command the naval officers remonstrated strenuously against longer exposing his fleet on an insecure coast at a tempestuous season of the year and urged the danger of being overtaken by a british squadron when broken and scattered by a storm with a degree of persevering earnestness which the count found himself incapable of resisting in a few days the lines of the besiegers might have been carried by regular approaches into the works of the besieged which would have rendered the capture of the town and garrison inevitable but d'estaing declared that he could devote no more time to this object and it only remained to raise the siege or to attempt the works by storm the latter part of the alternative was adopted on the left of the allied army was a swampy hollow way which afforded a cover for troops advancing on the right flank of the besieged to a point within fifty yards of their principal work it was determined to march to the main attack along this hollow and at the same time to direct feints against other parts of the lines on the morning of the ninth of october before day a heavy cannonade and bombardment were commenced from all the batteries as preliminary to the assault unsuccessful attempt to storm it about three thousand five hundred french and one thousand americans of whom between six and seven hundred were regulars and the residue militia of charleston advanced in three columns led by d'estaing and lincoln aided by the principal officers of both nations and made a furious assault on the british lines their reception was warmer than had been expected the fire from the batteries of the besieged reached every part of the columns of the assailants which had emerged from the swamp and did great execution yet the allied troops advanced with an abated ardor passed through the abatis crossed the ditch and mounted the parapet both the french and americans planted their standards on the walls and were killed in great numbers while endeavouring to force their way into the works for about fifty minutes the contest was extremely obstinate at length the columns of the assailants began to relax and a pause was manifested in the assault 
in this critical moment major glazier at the head of a body of grenadiers and marines rushing suddenly from the lines threw himself on those who had made their way into the redoubts and drove them over the ditch and abatis into the hollow which they had marched to the attack it became apparent that farther perseverance could produce no advantage and a retreat was ordered in this unsuccessful attempt the french lost in killed and wounded about seven hundred men among the latter were the count d'estaing himself major-general de fontange and several other officers of distinction the continental troops lost two hundred and thirty-four men and the charleston militia who though associated with them in danger were more fortunate had one captain killed and six privates wounded the loss of the garrison was astonishingly small in killed and wounded it amounted only to fifty-five so great was the advantage of the cover afforded by their works the siege raised after this repulse the count d'estaing announced to general lincoln his determination to raise the siege the remonstrances of that officer were ineffectual and the removal of the heavy ordnance and stores was commenced this being accomplished both armies moved from their ground on the evening of october eighteenth the eighteenth of october the americans recrossing the savannah at zubley's ferry again encamped in south carolina and the french re-embarked although the issue of this enterprise was the source of severe chagrin and mortification the prudence of general lincoln suppressed every appearance of dissatisfaction and the army separated with manifestations of reciprocal esteem the hopes which had brought the militia into the field being disappointed they dispersed and the affairs of the southern states wore a more gloomy aspect than at any former period on receiving intelligence of the situation of lincoln congress passed a resolution requesting general washington to order the north carolina troops and such others as could be spared from the northern army to the aid of that in the south and assuring the states of south carolina and georgia of the attention of government to their preservation but requesting them for their own defense to comply with the recommendations formerly made respecting the completion of their continental regiments and the government of their militia while in actual service during these transactions in the south the long meditated expedition against the indians was prosecuted with success the largest division of the western army was to assemble at wyoming on the main branch of the susquehanna and general sullivan expected to leave that place in the month of june such however were the delays in procuring provisions and military stores that it was the last of july before he could move from the place of rendezvous another body of troops designed to compose a part of the western army had passed the winter on the mohawk august on the twenty second of august these two divisions united and the whole army amounting to five thousand men marched up the tioga which led into the heart of the indian country such extensive and tedious preparations could not be made unobserved the plan of operations contemplated by sullivan seems to have been completely understood and notwithstanding the vast superiority of his force the indians determined to defend their country they resolved to risk a general action for its preservation and selected the ground for the conflict with judgment about a mile in front of newtown they collected their whole force estimated by general sullivan at fifteen hundred men but by themselves at only eight hundred commanded by the two butlers gray johnson macdonald and brant five companies of whites calculated at two hundred men were united with them they had constructed a breastwork about half a mile in length on a piece of rising ground the right flank of this work was covered by the river which bending to the right and winding round their rear exposed only their front and left to an attack on the left was a high ridge nearly parallel to the general course of the river 
terminating somewhat below the breastwork and still farther to the left was another ridge running in the same direction and leading to the rear of the american army the ground was covered with pine interspersed with low shrub oaks many of which for the purpose concealing their works had been cut up and stuck in front of them so as to exhibit the appearance of being still growing the road after crossing a deep brook at the foot of the hill turned to the right and ran nearly parallel to the breastwork so as to expose the whole flank of the army to their fire if it should advance without discovering their position parties communicating with each other were stationed on both hills so as to fall on the right flank in rear of sullivan as soon as the action should commence august about eleven in the morning of the twenty ninth of august this work was discovered by major parr who commanded the advance guard of the army upon which general hand formed the light infantry in a wood about four hundred yards distant from the enemy and stood upon his ground until the main body should arrive in the meantime a continual skirmishing was kept up between parr's rifle corps and small parties of indians who sallied from their works and suddenly retreated apparently with the hope of being incautiously pursued conjecturing that the hills on his right were occupied by the savages sullivan ordered general poor to take possession of that which led into his rear and thence to turn the left and gain the rear of the breastwork while hand aided by the artillery should attack in front these orders were promptly executed while the artillery played on the works poor pushed up the mountain and a sharp conflict commenced which was sustained for some time with considerable spirit on both sides poor continued to advance rapidly pressing the indians before him at the point of the bayonet and occasionally firing on them they retreated from tree to tree keeping up an irregular fire until he gained the summit of the hill perceiving that their flank was completely uncovered by this movement and that they were in danger of being surrounded the savages abandoned their breastwork and crossing the river fled with the utmost precipitation victory of general sullivan at newtown this victory cost the americans about thirty men the ascertained loss of the indians was also inconsiderable but they were so intimidated that every idea of farther resistance was abandoned as sullivan advanced they continued to retreat before him without harassing his main body or even skirmishing with his detachments except in a single instance he penetrated far into the heart of their country which his parties were scoured and laid waste in every direction houses cornfields gardens and fruit trees shared one common fate and sullivan executed strictly the severe but necessary orders he had received to render the country completely uninhabitable for the present and thus to compel the hostile indians by want of food to remove to a greater distance the objects of the expedition being accomplished sullivan returned to easton in pennsylvania having lost only forty men by sickness and the enemy the devastation of the country had been spoken of with some degree of disapprobation but this sentiment is the result rather of an amiable disposition in the human mind to condemn whatever may have the appearance of tending to aggravate the miseries of war than of reflection circumstances existed which reconciled to humanity this seeming departure from it great britain possessed advantages which ensured a controlling influence over the indians and kept them in almost continual war with the united states their habitual ferocity seemed to have derived increased virulence from the malignity of the whites who had taken refuge among them and there was real foundation for the opinion that an annual repetition of the horrors of wyoming could be prevented only by disabling the savages from perpetrating them no means in the power of the united states promised so certainly to effect this desirable object as the removal of neighbors whose hostility could be diminished only by terror and whose resentments were to be assuaged only by fear while sullivan laid waste the country on the susquehanna another expedition under colonel broadhead was carried on from pittsburgh up the allegheny against the mingo munsky 
and seneca tribes at the head of between six and seven hundred men he advanced two hundred miles up the river and destroyed the villages and cornfields on its head branches here too the indians were unable to resist the invading army after one unsuccessful skirmish they abandoned their villages to a destruction which was inevitable and sought for personal safety in their woods on receiving the communications of general sullivan congress passed a vote approving his conduct and that of his army that approbation however seems not to have extended beyond his conduct in the indian country his demands for military stores for the expedition had been so high in his conversations with his office he had so freely censured the government for its failure to comply with those demands and general orders he had so openly complained of inattention to the preparations necessary to secure the success of the enterprise that considerable offence was given to several members of congress and still more to the board of war from the operation of these causes when sullivan at the close of the campaign complained of ill-health and offered on that account to resign his commission the endeavours of his friends to obtain a vote requesting him to continue in the service and permitting him to retire from actual duty until his health should be restored were overruled and his resignation was accepted the resolution permitting him to resign was however accompanied with one thanking him for his past services although these great exertions to terminate indian hostility did not afford complete security to the western frontiers they were attended with considerable advantages the savages though not subdued were intimidated and their incursions became less formidable as well as less frequent the summer of seventeen seventy nine passed away without furnishing any circumstance in america which could be supposed to have material influence on the issue of the war in europe however an event took place which had been long anxiously expected and was believed to be of decisive importance spain at length determined to make one common cause with france against great britain it was supposed that the two powers would be able to obtain a complete ascendancy at sea and that their combined fleets would maintain a superiority on the american coast as well as in europe from the first determination of france to take part in the war it appears to have been the earnest wish of the cabinet of versailles to engage spain likewise in the contest her resentments against england her solicitude to diminish the naval strength of that nation and her wish to recover jamaica gibraltar and the floridas urged her to seize the fair occasion now offered of dismembering the british empire and accomplishing these favourite objects but a dread of the effect which the independence of the united states might produce on her own colonies mingled with some apprehensions of danger from the contest she was about to provoke had produced an appearance of irresolution which rendered her future course for a time uncertain in this conflict of opposite interests the influence of the cabinet of versailles and the jealousy of the naval power of britain at length obtained the victory and his catholic majesty determined to prevent the reannexation of the united states to their mother country but to effect this object by negotiation rather than by the sword spain offers her mediation to the belligerent powers in pursuance of this pacific system he offered his mediation to the belligerent powers this proposition was readily accepted by france but the minister of his britannic majesty evaded any explicit arrangements on the subject while he continued to make general verbal declarations of the willingness of his sovereign to give peace to europe under the mediation of his catholic majesty in consequence of these declarations the spanish minister proposed a truce for a term of years and that a congress of deputies from the belligerent powers should assemble at madrid to adjust the terms of a permanent treaty into which deputies from the united states were to be admitted as the representatives of a sovereign nation although an explicit acknowledgment of their independence was not to be required it was to be understood that they should be independent in fact and should be completely separated from the british empire this negotiation was protracted to a considerable length and in the meantime all the address of the cabinet of london was used to detach either france or the united states from their alliance with each other 
notice of it was given to the american government by the minister of france at philadelphia as well as by mr arthur lee one of their agents in europe and congress was repeatedly urged by the former to furnish those who might be authorized to represent them in the conferences for a general treaty with ample powers and instructions to conclude it an extraordinary degree of solicitude was manifested to hasten the full powers and to moderate the claims of the united states it seems to have been the policy of the cabinet of versailles to exclude the american states from a share of the fisheries and to limit their western boundary to the settlements then made either from a real apprehension that the war might be protracted should the united states insist on the acknowledgment of their independence as a preliminary to any treaty or from an opinion that such preliminary acknowledgment would leave the terms of the treaty less under the control of france and the american plenipotentiaries more masters of their own conduct m gerard laboured to persuade congress to recede from that demand if they could be independent in fact he thought the form not worth contending for while congress was employed in debating the instructions to their ministers the negotiation was brought to a close as spain became prepared for hostilities the offered mediation was pressed in such terms as to produce the necessity of either accepting or rejecting it this drew from the cabinet of london a declaration that the independence of the united states was inadmissible upon which his catholic majesty determined to take part in the war war between spain and england on the departure of his minister from london without taking leave the british government issued letters of mark and reprisal against the vessels and subjects of the spanish crown and a powerful spanish fleet which had been preparing during the negotiation was expedited to cooperate with that of france yet the independence of the united states was not acknowledged nor was their minister accredited dispatches giving notice of the hostilities meditated by his catholic majesty were forwarded to don galvez the governor of louisiana who collected a considerable military force at new orleans and reduced the settlements held by the british crown on the mississippi which had not been apprised of the war intelligence of this important event was given to congress while that body was deliberating on the instructions to their negotiators it is not impossible that this information had some influence on those deliberations and rendering the american government less solicitous about the future conduct of spain diminished the motives for making territorial sacrifices to that power their ministers were ordered to make it a preliminary article to any negotiation that great britain should agree to treat with the united states as sovereign free and independent and that their independence should be expressly assured and confirmed by the terms of the treaty itself that the united states might be enabled to avail themselves without further delays of any occasion which might be presented for terminating the war mr john adams who was already in europe was authorized to negotiate a treaty of peace and a commercial treaty with great britain and mr jay at that time president of congress was appointed minister plenipotentiary to the court of madrid with instructions to insist on the free navigation of the mississippi a claim to which spain objected and which was discountenanced by france as the campaign grew to a close without affording any solid foundation for the hope that the war was about to terminate general washington repeated those efforts which he had made so often and so unsuccessfully to induce early preparations for the ensuing year he submitted to the view of his government a detailed report of the whole army which exhibited the alarming fact that by the last of the following june the terms of service of nearly one-half of the men under his command would expire it was not the least considerable of the inconveniences attending the complex system of government then prevailing in the united states that measures essential to the safety of the nation were never taken in season thus when the time for raising the quotas of the respective states by voluntary enlistment had passed away and the necessity of resorting to coercive means had become absolute those means were so delayed and so irregularly 
put in execution that the terms of service of different portions of the army expired almost every month in the year and raw troops ignorant of the first rudiments of military duty were introduced in the most critical moments of a campaign had timely and correspondent measures been taken by the states to raise their respective quotas by a specified time in the depth of winter the recruits would have received the advantages of a few months training before they were brought into actual service and the general that of a certain uninterrupted force for each campaign this course of proceeding had been continually recommended and the recommendation had been as continually neglected letter from general washington to congress in the more early stages of the contest said the commander-in-chief to congress in a letter of the eighth of november when men might have been enlisted for the war no man as my whole conduct and the uniform tenor of my letters will evince was ever more opposed to short enlistments than i was and while there remained a prospect of obtaining recruits on a permanent footing in the first instance as far as duty and a regard to my station would permit i urged my sentiments in favour of it but the prospect of keeping up an army by voluntary enlistments being changed or at least standing on too precarious and uncertain a footing to depend on for the exigency of our affairs i took the liberty in february seventeen seventy eight in a particular manner to lay before the committee of arrangement then with the army at valley forge a plan for an annual draft as the surest and most certain if not the only means left us of maintaining the army on a proper and respectable ground and more and more confirmed in the propriety of this opinion by the intervention of a variety of circumstances unnecessary to detail i again took the freedom of urging the plan to the committee of conference in january last and having reviewed it in every point of light and found it right at least the best that has occurred to me i hope i shall be excused by congress in offering it to them and in time for carrying into execution for the next year if they should conceive it necessary for the states to complete their quota of troops the plan i would propose is that each state be informed by congress annually of the real deficiency of its troops and called upon to make it up or such less specific number as congress may think proper by a draft let the men drafted join the army by the first of january and serve until the first of january in the succeeding year that from the time the drafts join the army the officers of the states from which they come be authorized and directed to use their endeavors to enlist them for the war under the bounties granted to the officers themselves and to the recruits by the act of the twenty third of january seventeen seventy nine these ten dollars to the officer for each recruit and two hundred to the recruits themselves that all state county and town bounties to drafts if practicable be entirely abolished on account of the uneasiness and disorders they create among the soldiery the desertions they produce and for other reasons which will readily occur that on or before the first of october annually an abstract or return similar to the present one be transmitted to congress to enable them to make their requisitions to each state with certainty and precision this i would propose as a general plan to be pursued and i am persuaded that this or one nearly similar to it will be found the best now in our power as it will be attended with the least expense to the public and will place the service on the footing of order and certainty and will be the only one that can advance the general interest to any great extent these representations on the part of the commander-in-chief were not more successful than those which had before been made although the best dispositions existed in congress the proceedings of that body were unavoidably slow and the difficulty of effecting a concert of measures among thirteen sovereign states was too great to be surmounted in consequence of these radical defects in the system itself the contributions of men made by the states continued to be irregular uncertain and out of season and the army could never acquire the consistency and stability which would have resulted from an exact 
observance of the plan so often recommended on receiving information of the disaster which had been sustained by the allied arms at savannah sir henry clinton resumed his plan of active operations against the southern states a large embarkation took place soon after that event had been announced to him which sailed from the hook towards the end of december the troops were commanded by himself in person and the fleet by admiral arbuthnot the defence of new york and its dependencies were entrusted to general Niphausen. the preparations made in new york for some distant enterprise were immediately communicated by his faithful intelligencers to general washington who conjectured its object and hastened the march of the troops designed to reinforce general lincoln the season for action in a northern climate being over the general turned his attention to the distribution of his troops in winter quarters habit had familiarized the american army to the use of huts constructed by themselves and both officers and men were content to pass the winter in a hutted camp in disposing of the troops therefore until the time of action should return wood and water a healthy situation convenience for supplies of provisions stations which would enable them to cover the country and to defend particular positions were the objects taken into consideration and were all to be consulted the army goes into winter quarters with a view to these various circumstances the army was thrown into two great divisions the northern was to be commanded by general heath and its chief object was the security of west point and of the posts on the north river as low as king's ferry subordinate to this was the protection of the country on the sound and down the hudson to the neighbourhood of king's bridge the other and principal division under the immediate command of general washington was put under cover late in december in the neighbourhood of morristown End of chapter five